Praise the Lord. Well, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. While you're doing that, I'm going to pray over the Word. Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege of being able to come and to worship you and honor you and adore you in your holiness. And Father, now we turn to your holy Word, for it is your Word, and it is, it is as holy as you are. And Father, we approach this Word tonight not as the Bible, not as a book, but as your word spoken to us. And so, Father, we invite the Holy Spirit to take this word tonight because it is a living word and to speak it personally to each one of us exactly what we need to hear. We ask you to give us ears that would hear, eyes that would see, and hearts that would grasp and understand and apply in our life that which you have for us. We thank you that your word, Father, teaches us doctrine and principles and gives us revelation of who you are. But your word also teaches us very practical things about how to live our life out so that we may live a life that's not only pleasing to you, but we succeed in what you've called us to do. And we thank you for that, Father, in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 6, we're looking at the armor of God. We're coming near the end of this study, and then we'll move into another subject very soon. Uh, and I'm, I'm not even going to read through it because I don't want to take the time tonight to go back over. But starting in verse 10, he's talking about spiritual warfare. He's laid out some of the most important verses in the Bible are in Ephesians. This is, if, again, if I had only one book to have on a desert island somewhere out of the Bible, it would be, be the book of Ephesians. It really is the complete, the complete gospel in there. And Colossians is similar, just a little more condensed version of it. And, uh, but, but starting in verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. For, and he talks about warfare that you're going through. And we started this study by going back into, a fee, in, into Acts chapter 20 and saw that when Paul left this church, after he, when he parted from these leaders for the last time, he warned them that there were going to be what he called ravenous wolves trying to come in and trying to devour what he had laid there and to pull people out of the church that God had established there. And understand that, that Satan's devices, and he is very real, are no different today. He wants to isolate us, to isolate you, isolate me, because we need one another. There's something about strengthening when we come together. That's why we have a midweek service. Because, you know, there are people that think they can get through the week all week without, without coming together, but they're weak. <laughs> if you don't have it in the midweek, W-E-E-K, you'll end up being W-E-A-K. Because we need one another. And yes, you can read your Bible on your own, and we need to read our Bible on our own, but there's something about the body of Christ coming together, strengthens one another, provides protection for one another. And so he's talking about that in here, and he's dealing with spiritual warfare. And he talks about, and it's very real, we've talked about you know, who the combatants are. There's... The, 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 there's Satan, on the one hand, is trying to destroy you. He doesn't care about you. It's the Word of God in you. It's what that Word in you will do for you and for other people through you. And we see that that means we don't wrestle, he says, against flesh and blood. So we've seen that it's not your spouse, it's not your boss, it's not the person sitting next to you, it's not the usher, it's not anybody, it's not any person. The spirits may use people, but that's not who your enemy is. So we've looked at all that. Then we've begun to look at the different parts of the armor. And there are a number of ways you can look at this, but I really believe what God's shown us is that this armor is in essence putting Him on. 
Because each one of these qualities, each one of these pieces of armor, Paul says, represents a quality that is really part of the fruit of the Spirit, and all the fruit of the Spirit is really God's nature, His character. So if you stop and think about it, we're in a, you are all in some kind of spiritual warfare. Whether you know it or not, if you don't know it, that's not a good sign because you may most likely are not succeeding. <clears throat> but we are all in some form of spiritual warfare. And, and but the Bible, and this is part of why we're studying this, gives us answers of how to win, not just survive, <clears throat> but to win. And in essence, it's to put God on. And the reason you can put God on is He's on the inside of you. So you don't have to call Him down out of heaven. Romans 10 says that. You don't have to call Him up out of, the, out of the darkness. He's in you. If you've come to Christ, if you've given your life to Him, if He's your Savior and your Lord, you are a child of God and you have His nature in you. All we've got to do is learn how to act like Him. And that's, that's one thing to do in church when we're saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. It's another thing when you go to work tomorrow morning. And everything, they're not, when you walk in the door, saying, holy, holy, holy. People snap at you. You get accused of things you didn't do. People leave nasty notes on your desk that you have nothing, you didn't deserve. All you've done is been, whatever it is, it's not that person you're wrestling against. And so what we're learning is to put God on. You put God on, He defends you. He protects you. And we looked at the beginning that what our instinct is to protect ourselves. And we saw that when you protect yourself, you're going to have to defend yourself and you're only going to succeed based on how strong you are. And remember who you're fighting. You're fighting spiritual forces in heavenly places and you in yourself are no match for them. But if you put Him on, they're no match for Him. And so we've looked at truth, we've looked at righteousness, we've looked at peace. All of those are qualities of God that when we walk in them, He is our protection. And then the last time we talked about this, we looked at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The word take is an interesting word. There's other places in these scriptures where it says, take up. But this word doesn't mean to reach down and to pick up, and as you might think the word take means. It literally means to receive or accept. And the image here is to receive or accept something that goes around your head. Now I'm going to ask you a very deep question here. What's inside your head? Some of you may have to think hard about this because you're not so sure. Your brain is inside your head, hopefully. (laughs) Although some of the comments Marianne made were about whether we've lost our brains or not. Now, understand this. Your brain is a physical organ that's located between your ears. It's made up of wet meat (laughs) with chemicals in there and little electrical impulses going back and forth. It's the most amazing computer ever made, but it's a piece of meat. Your mind is a part of your soul and it uses your brain to function. So when your body dies and you leave your body, your brain's staying here, but your mind is going with you. Three of you understood that. (laughs) Your brain stays here and your mind 
goes with you because it is part of your soul and your soul is eternal. It is joined with your spirit. So what we're talking about here tonight is not your brain, but it is your mind. Now it's interesting because what this is talking about, therefore, is it's the helmet of salvation. So it is, it is literally pu- accepting or receiving the salvation that was given to you when you came to Christ. Well, I, I, you said, I did receive it. Well, did you? Yes, in terms of positionally you did. So if you die, you're going to heaven. But salvation means far more than getting out of hell and getting into heaven. The word salvation means wholeness. It means emotional wholeness. It means physical wholeness. In fact, when we looked at the word peace, we discovered that whole means whole. So if there's a part of you that's not whole, you're not whole. Now I say that because the, the, the Bible, the New Testament's written in Greek. The Greek mind divided things into compartments, just like we men do. <laughs> but the Hebrew mind mixed everything together the way you ladies do. <laughs> so to the Hebrew mind... If one part of you wasn't whole, you're not whole. But the Greeks had no problems thinking that if you were whole mentally and if you were whole emotionally, you didn't have to be whole physically because parts of you were whole. But although the New Testament's written in Greek, it's written by Jewish writers. John... Matthew, all of them except, basically except Luke, were Jewish. And I'm saying that to say this, that the word salvation means complete wholeness. So what verse 17 is saying is that what God wants us to do is to put on, receive the fullness of what Jesus paid for, for you on the cross. Let me get down to where we live. Most of us, if not all of us, are struggling with some issues in our life. I mean within ourselves. It may be fear. It may be worry. They're kind of related to each other. It may be problems with anger. It may be some temptation that seems to keeps getting a hold of you. Something in your life that you're still struggling with, you may not have admitted to anybody, you may have been in trouble admitting to yourself, but it's something, in that area, you're not whole. You're not whole. Now we're talking about warfare. So just as we learned that for your, your feet need to be have on, you need to have your feet established in peace because when you're not at peace, if your feet are not peaceful, if they're hurting, like you got a new pair of shoes and they just, you know, or you ladies have been on your feet for a while and just can't wait to get those shoes off, it's hard to stand in battle when your feet are hurting, when they're not at peace. In the same mind, same way, if there are weaknesses in you, if you're feeling, if you're insecure, let's put it this way. Let's get down to where we live. Most of the way people, I mean good people with good, good heart. Now there's some people that just, you know, they're looking for trouble and they find it. 
They kind of create problems and they create them and the enemy uses them. But most people that struggle or get in trouble don't want to, don't mean to. They don't want these spirits using them. But what happens is he, the enemy will use a weakness in you, like insecurity. So, I mean, usually when people are envious and jealous, it's because they're insecure. If they knew that they were okay, they wouldn't be so concerned that you're okay. But if I'm not so sure I'm okay, then I want to bring everybody down with me so I feel better about where I am. So what's happening, what comes out is envy and jealousy and strife. And we've looked before in James. James says those are doctrines of demons. But as a, as a practical matter, the way that spirit gets that stirred up in you is because he knows you have an area of weakness where you are insecure about yourself. Maybe it's a poor self-image. Maybe it was something that was just not put into you or was put in the wrong way as a child or something like that. The enemy knows that about you, so he's trying to work through that to get you off balance. So what, what Peter, what Peter, what um, uh, Paul is saying here is that part of being able to stand still and win the battle is to close off those avenues, make whole those areas where the enemy's been able to work in a foothold in the past. Now do you understand what we're talking about? Okay. Now, Salvation, there's now what I'm talking about. Salvation means wholeness. Psalm 103, or Psalm 23. One of the things that a shepherd does is he restores my soul. God didn't just, he saved your spirit. He changed your spirit when you came to Christ. But there's another aspect of you, your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that's the what's in the process of being Change. Turn with me to, to um, Romans chapter 12. I was going to kind of jump over this, and I realized today in looking at this, this is too important, so we'll spend a little bit of time here. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, so he's talking to the church, by the mercies of God, which is what the first 11 chapters has been all about, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And we've talked about that. Verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Oh, that is so full of keys to understand. So we're going to get into that. First thing he says is something we're not to do. The next thing he tells us is something we are to do. And then he tells us why. Do not be conformed to this world. That is a word in the Greek language that means to be changed on the outside by some pressure or force to, look, to have a different image. Let's get it down to this way. If you under, ever understand how they mint, mint a coin, they take a piece of copper, and of course it's not completely copper, or they take a piece of silver the size of a dime, and they, I don't know exactly how they do it now, but they have a press that has a reverse image of what they want on the 
on the outside of that coin. And under tremendous pressure, it's forced down on it. And by the force of that pressure, what happens is it changes the surface of that coin so that it now conforms to the image that's in that mold. You all with me? All right. Do not be conformed to this world. The Greek word for world there is doesn't just mean, doesn't mean this earth, physical earth. It means this world's system or ways of doing things. Now keep something here and go with me to Isaiah 55. Verse 8. This is God talking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God is telling us there that He doesn't think the way we do, and He doesn't act the way we do. He doesn't think the way the world thinks and He doesn't act the way the world acts. Now when you come to Christ, your nature changes. The Bible says He takes His old nature out, your old nature out, which was a nature that had sin in it, that's why you sinned. And He put a new nature in, and that new nature is His nature, that's how you become a child of God, because God has birthed in you His nature. It has His DNA inside his it now ha, you now have in your nature his tendencies to do what he would do and to act the way he would act but those are just down in your nature now we don't have time to get into it tonight but no matter what your nature is your mind affects controls what comes out of you and what gets into you it's a gate so if I were to stand up here and try to teach you something that you, you knew in your mind didn't fit into this Word, you are trained enough that you wouldn't receive it. You, you, know, you might wonder, what's wrong with him? But your mind would begin to reject it. It wouldn't get in. Why? Because it doesn't line up with what your mind understands about this Word. So your mind controls what you will accept down in here. By the same token, your mind controls what comes up out of you. In term, not, your, your, not your physical body, but what comes out of your spirit, out of your mouth, and in your actions. I'm sure you've all had this experience where, you know, you're just going along some day and maybe, you know, getting ready, or, and you get this little prompting in here, you know what, I ought to do something for my neighbor or I ought to bake something, or I ought to call so-and-so, you know. And you, you know, what, when, you, when you get that in here, you, you know you should do that. And what happens is if you don't do it right away, what, what happens? You begin, you, now, why? Because you begin to think about it. Oh, well, you know, I don't have the time right now. I'll fit that in later on. And then the more you think about it, the more you talk yourself out of doing something 
that you knew in here God was telling you to do. So your mind has stopped something you saw in here from being acted out of you. And that's why we're looking here. There's a battle for your mind. I correct myself. The battle's not for your mind. The battle's for your will. But the battlefield on which it's fought is your mind. You see the difference? Because what the enemy's after is your will. You won't go anywhere or do something contrary to your will. God can't change your will and the devil can't change your will, but they can both try to influence it. And the battlefield on which they try to get at your will is through your mind. And so here what Paul's saying is we are not to be conformed. This same exa- that word conformed means to be pressed under pressure to look like something on the outside that's the exact image of what pressured you. Follow me now. You're saved. You've got God's nature in you. If the, the devil would have done anything he could to stop that from happening. But since he couldn't stop it from happening, the next best thing he can do is stop what happened inside of you from changing you and therefore affecting anybody else. He wants to keep that salvation bottled up inside of you so that you don't affect anybody and nobody gets the benefit of what God has done inside of you, including you. And his method of doing that is he can't change your nature, but what he wants to do is put pressure on you so that you act like the world does and talk like the world does and think like the world does on the outside because then they can't tell any difference between you and the God that's really in you. And notice what he uses to do that. It's pressure. Why do you think that pressure comes against you? It's not trying to move you along quicker to the Lord, is it? It's not trying to push you closer to heaven, is it? He's trying to squeeze you, pressure you, get you... You ever notice the timing of things? He tries to get you when you're tired, when you're distracted, when you're discouraged. See, this is warfare. And in any warfare, there's a strategy. The enemy has a strategy. And what they used to do, I don't know what they teach nowadays, but what they used to do, one of the strategies is if you had your enemy in a, in a, in a, in a, a fort that you couldn't penetrate, what they would do is they would bring around the cannons and they would bombard it. The, 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 war, the battle that turned the Revolutionary War around was the Battle of Yorktown. They, they had the British Army cornered at Yorktown, but they were in a fort. And what Washington and Lafayette did is they surrounded it and for days they just bombarded it with, 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 with big shells and shrapnel and the constant boom. 
boom, the ground shaking, boom, 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 this house blows up, boom, boom, day and night, boom. It wore the British soldiers down. It tired them, it wore down their resolve, and that's what the enemy does. He has a strategy. He pounds your, pounds your mind with things. He tries to get circumstances working in your life to wear you out and tire you out. Then he'll talk to you and try to get you discouraged and say, well, you're not going to make it. Remember what Jesus said about him? He's a liar. And just in case you don't know this, he's the father of lies. That means, and he says, there is no truth in him. I mean, I get this picture sometime. If, if I had my foot on his neck, he's going to be telling me that I'm losing. Because we looked at the beginning. His only weapon is deceit and trickery. He's just good at it. So he wants to use the... Just think about your life right now. Think about the pressures that are coming against you, whether they're financial, whether they're situations in your family, whether it's... Whatever it may be that's pressuring you, pushing down on you. Its purpose is to get you to look on the outside and think on the outside and talk on the outside the way everybody else does. I'm not going to make it. I'm never going to make it. Isn't everything terrible in the world? The world's falling apart. Yeah, it may be, but that's not why we're here for such a time as this. We shouldn't be talking about the world going down. I mean, I understand what Marianne was talking about. But we shouldn't be going around just discouraged and talking about everything's falling apart. Did you see this story? Did you hear that? You know, faith comes by hearing. Pressure. Pressure. Pressure on you. Pressure so you don't pray. Mm. Pressure so you don't have time to get in your word. Pressure. 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 Because remember that mold is trying to make that piece of silver look a certain way on the outside. And isn't that how we identify the coin? Now, I know the size, but you couldn't tell a dime from some foreign coin unless you saw USA on there, 10 cents. So people identify whose that is and what it means by the way it looks on the outside. That's what the word conformed means. Do not be conformed to the way the world operates. I want to park there for a minute because that's a lot of what we just heard. We have to. It's no longer an option. We have to do this because the pressure of the world is getting greater and greater and greater. And one of the purposes of that pressure is to take the church and pressure it to being just like the world. One of the things that happened, has happened in China, because there was an, there's an underground church there that's been spreading and exploding. So what the government in China did is the government decided to legalize the church and form a state Christian church. And it invited the leaders 
of the underground church to come and to say, well, we're not going to persecute you anymore. You just have to submit under the state's leadership and you can preach the gospel that you want to preach within these guidelines that we give you. Sounds a little like a story I read in the Bible where somebody took Jesus up on a mountain and said, all the kingdoms of the world will I give you. That's what he came to win back. All you need to do is just, just to me, nobody's looking, just bow, bow your knee. So we look like the world. Do not be conformed to this world. But, that's a different direction. Be transformed. This is a different word. The first word is, in case you're interested, is suchibatizo. This word is metamorphomai. And what this word means, if you really study it out, it means to take what's really on the inside and bring it to the outside. So here's the battle. Satan, through the pressures of this life, is trying to squeeze you, pressure you, so that you react, think, talk, just like the world does. So there's no difference on the outside between you and the church and the world, even though there's a difference on the inside. But what Paul's saying we're to do is instead of that, is we're to be transformed by taking what's on the inside and allowing that to come to the outside. That's why he says in Philippians, work out your salvation. Not work for it. Take the salvation that's been put in you and work it out. That's our job. He put it in there. Our job is to work it to the outside. And we'll talk about how to do that. But here's what he says. All right. So, do not be conformed, pressured to this world system, this world's way of doing things, but instead be transformed. Take what's on the inside of you and bring it to the outside of you. How? How do we do that? By the renewing of your mind. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the removing of your mind. Now, there are some denominational circles where everything's very rational very intelligent, very intellectual, very structured, very educated, and that's fine. In those places, generally, you don't find the Spirit of God having free reign, but, but everything is organized, and it's, 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 there's a very clear education and rational understanding of things. Then you go over to the full gospel side, where we're open to the Spirit, and we throw the mind out, like somehow the mind's our enemy. God doesn't want us to think. He just will be led by the Spirit. Well, who do you think gave you your brain? You know, there's some things God doesn't give you answers to. At least I find that out. You know why? He's expecting us to use it. Now, when God tells you one thing and your brain says that doesn't make sense, you still got to go with what God says. So here we're to be transformed, really come to full maturity of who we are by the renewing of our mind so that you may prove 
what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Understand this, whether you renew your mind or not affects other people. Because he says by either doing this or not doing this, you're proving out God's will. You're affecting other people. People are looking at you. People are looking at the church, his church, to see how we handle situations. We haven't done so well as a church. I don't mean just Faith Christian Center. I mean the church at large has not done so well. We don't have that good a reputation because we haven't acted that differently than the world. Under pressure, we backbite. In fact, we're really the only animal that eats its young and, and, and devours its, you know, the, the, the parts that are sick. We turn on each other because we don't see ourselves as part of one body. We see ourselves as in competition or at least separate from each other. So you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, last time I explained to you a little bit of what it means to renew your mind. This is not some deep theological thing. It literally means to change how you think. To change how you think. I gave one example, which is when I went to law school, and, and we've got at least one of the, two other lawyers in here tonight. Law school doesn't train you the law, although you learn some in the process. It teaches you to think a different way, to analyze situations through a, 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 a filter, because that's what the judge is going to do. And then I use the example of going to Starbucks or someplace like that, where you may have an order that has 15 different parts to it, and they don't write it down. They just go fill it. And I asked them one day, how do you remember? And they said, because we've been trained, no matter what order you give it to us, we listen to it first of all with hot or cold, then the size, and then whatever. But they have it, So they've been trained, no matter what comes to them, how to handle that mentally. And that's what we're going to talk about doing, because that's what renewing the mind means. No matter what pressure comes against you, no matter what situation reaches out to grab you or take you off balance, this word, if you will spend time in it, will train you to think the way God does about that, not the way the world does it. Because God says, my ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, they're higher. And my ways are not your ways, they're higher. The way, the re, how, the way you get into God's ways is to think his thoughts. Oh, his ways mean just the way he handles situations, what he does in a situation. And so what renewing the mind just means is learning to think what God's thoughts are about a situation. And there are really three types of situations to learn to do that. The first is who, who God is and what he's like, what God's like. That's one of the ones we've gotten away from. This is one of the things Marianne talked to us a lot about, and this is one of the things that, that really God has put in our heart. The church has lost track of knowing who God is. Oh, we know God loves us. We know God's forgiven us. But we forget that the God of the Old Testament is not a different God than the God of the New Testament. But, Pastor, we live in the New Testament. We live in the age of grace. Yeah, but the age of grace is a parenthesis. It's an age of grace. Before that, you messed up, that's it. 
in grace, you come to Christ. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But after the parenthesis, we're back to don't mess up. And what we've lost sight of when all we do is know the God that's in the parenthesis is that He's a holy God. It doesn't mean much to us. So we sing a song about He's holy, but we don't really understand or relate to that. We don't know His absolute power. The problem is when we need His absolute power, because we don't know what His absolute power is like, we have nothing to relate to. So the Old Testament is very important for us to learn the Old Testament. Well, Pastor, we're not under the law. No, we're not under the law, but the law has not been erased. The law is how God operates. It's how God thinks. And if we're to mature and be like Him, we need to learn to think and mature the way the the law says to think and act. We're not under it, but we're to be operating that way. Because that's what He's like. And the result is the church, not just, I'm not talking about Faith Christian Center, but the church in general has got loose. God will forgive us. And some of the things that are out there right now raise the hair on the back of my head. My well-known authors that you don't need to ask for forgiveness. And of course, there's a whole movement out there that there's no hell. Because a loving God would never say... This is what happens when you get away from this and you begin to take a principle and you begin to teach that principle in an unbalanced way. And not what the angel told Paul and the disciples, make sure you preach the whole counsel of God. Because the problem's this. <laughs> the God we're going to stand before isn't the God you think He is or the God I think He is. He's going to be who He is. So I can't stand and say, Oops! I didn't think you were like that. Because you see, we're without excuse. So it's incumbent on us to find out what He's like to renew our mind so that we can think the way He thinks. God hates sin. Doesn't hate the sinner, but He hates sin and He will judge it. Paul dealt with the churches he was responsible for. I mean, he dealt with people's lives and their personal lives. That's none of his business. Well, apparently, he thought it was. He dealt with their sexual lives. He dealt with, I mean, he didn't tell them what they had to do. He just, when they didn't line up, in fact, he dealt very strongly with the church because they didn't deal with it. God deals with sin in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. So we need to renew our mind to who God is. We need to renew our mind to who we are. That's part of this wholeness. 
that you are a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And those new things are of God. Verse 21 says that he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It says all over the New Testament that we, if you are in Christ, you are a son of God, a child of God. That's not some symbol. You literally are his child. And he loves you as a child. Father loves a child. So you're not somebody because of of, your, of, of anything you've done, you're somebody because of who you belong to through the cross. So we need to take this and renew our mind because that's where we get into those areas where the enemy tries to find weaknesses in you, like insecurity. All insecurity is, is I've taken a good honest look at myself <laughs> and realized I've got nothing in me to be secure about. Because I was raised that way. I was raised feeling very insecure. And when I finally woke up and realized as a Christian, I can't use that as a crutch, because I did for a while. Well, you don't know I was raised, you know, my father didn't do this, and, you know, I, my family was home, home was broken, and I was thrown back and forth, and all this blah, 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 blah. And finally, it's like I realized one day I was feeling sorry for myself. Because it dawned on me what this word says that I'm now God's child. And it doesn't matter what my past was. God's now my father. And that, I remember one day clearly taking that stand. I was sitting in the car one day and said, I can't use that as an excuse. That's an excuse, God. I'm sorry. I repent of that. Because you're my father, whatever this word says I am, I can become all of that. Because you're my father. I cannot and will not use my past as a crutch anymore. So I began to get into this Word to find out what the Bible says about who I am in Christ. And if you are struggling with that, in our bookstore, we got a little book called In Him. My wife, I don't know how many she's worn out. I'll see her in the morning with this thing and another one, reading it over and over and over and over because it just simply goes through and finds the Scriptures that tell you where it says you are in Him. Because if you're in Him, you're Him. He didn't become you, you became Him. And that's your identity. we got too many Christians with an identity crisis. That's because they haven't renewed their mind and found out who they are. See, my Bible tells me when I came to Christ, I, me, died. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified. That's died with Christ. When I came to Christ, His crucifixion became my crucifixion. I died with Him. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, as a result of the fact that I've been crucified with Him, it's no longer I who live. See, that's what the enemy's after. He's trying to get you worried about you, taking care of you, protecting you, promoting you. And we're not called to do that. We're called to lose ourselves in who He is. And the neat thing is, as you lose yourself in who He is, He takes care of you. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, Paul wrote, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me.
That's the place of freedom. That's the place of peace. That's the place of victory. And we live in a church age where we're out trying to get our rights, make our claims before God. And there are certain promises God's made us. There's nothing wrong with that. But, we, but the spirit that's behind it gets off. And we become focused on me. And I've shared this with you before over and over again. I don't see Paul talking about that too much. Instead, I see Paul referring to himself as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having spent his life, poured out his life as an offering. But that's the place of victory and the place of peace. So it's renewing our mind, learning to see ourselves different. And that takes work. It's that four-letter word we don't like, church. It's work. I do this every day. I go over this out loud. Sometimes I'll wake up in the night and I'll go over it. I, me, I've been crucified with Christ. That means it's no longer I who live, so I don't have to defend me today. I don't have to promote me today. I don't have to worry about me today because I died. What I have to do is think about Him, who He is, what He wants, what's His will, what's His desire, what's going to please Him. You start doing that and it will change. It will transform you. Isn't that interesting? You know what you'll do? You'll begin to act like Him. And you'll find yourself in situations. See, when a situation arises, whatever it may be, that pressure... Somebody says something to you to insult you. I had on the way over here, it's interesting the battles you go, not with my wife, I had a way over here. One of, the, one of the areas where I am growing in is patience. Now some places I can be extremely patient, but somehow when I get behind the wheel of a car or in a line somewhere, I think I have a right to everybody get out of my way and I have a police escort. They ought to change the lights for me. I don't know where this attitude comes from, but I can feel it rising up in me. Even if I'm not late. I remember being on a cruise years ago. On a cruise? Standing in line at the free coffee machine. And this thought went through my head. Will those old people please get moving? I want a cup of coffee. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Where do you have to go? Get a grip on yourself. So when I'm way over and I caught my, it wasn't big, I just caught this, this person behind me. I'm looking, I know what the speed limit is and I know what they were going. And there's no possible justification that I can think of to take 12 miles off the speed limit when the speed limit's already 35. But they were just... Then they turned their left turn signal on and didn't turn left. And then what really started getting me is 50 yards down the road, they turned right. And I had to stop myself and say... What's getting upset is John. But you died. Remember, we went over this, John, this morning? You died. That means there's nothing in you to get... There should be nothing in you 
because they can't do anything to you. They can't slow you down. It's very freeing when you begin to get a hold of it. But see, it's, 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 you change by taking what this word says like that principle and then in those situations of life, often little ones, you begin to apply it. And at first it may not work, but you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And what you'll find is, see, the moment I think about that now, I just stop. The moment I find envy rising in me, now, it doesn't mean I always, always does it, but I'll stop it. Wait, wait, wait you're, how, you're dead. How can you be envious? What do you have to be envious? And it just quiets right down again. Then I find myself not reacting that way in situations where I used to, and instead I find myself, because we'll talk later, about reacting the way Christ reacted. Be transformed changed on the outside to look and act like you are on the inside by changing how you think about the situations. We'll talk more about this later. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight, first of all, for your patience with us. We thank you, Father, that you are a God of faith. Father, help us tonight to take what we've heard and what we've learned. And in the hours and the days ahead, when situations arise, when pressure comes on us, when temptation crosses our path, when thoughts bombard us, to remember what we've heard tonight and recognize it as the pressure of the enemy to try to get me to act the way the enemy wants me to act. And instead, to make the choice that I can respond in that situation the way Jesus would have responded. Thank you that you've put your spirit, of, your spirit in us who empowers us and enables us to change. Father, help us to find the scriptures that we need to see and meditate on so that our minds can be changed and renewed and we can wrap them in the salvation, the wholeness that you have brought to us through Christ. Father, our trust tonight is in the Holy Spirit who lives in us to enable us to do this. In Jesus' name.